Welcome to the Ion Cannon Podcast, your source for entertainment reviews from a galaxy far, far away. I'm one of your hosts, Stephen, and I'm joined by my friends and co-hosts, Tom and William. Today, we're joined by guest Sean Keen from the New York Daily News. Sean, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. And excited this... to have you on. Yeah, this is really cool. <clears throat> yeah, Sean and I uh, met at Celebration Europe, and uh, I just outside the press room, actually, and we ended up going to uh, a bunch of the same panels and events together. And so uh, we're glad to have you join us to review this episode that we saw on the big screen in, in London. It was oh. truly epic. Lucky. Yes, it was. Yeah, you guys are yes, very was. lucky to be there. <laughs> but of course, we're talking about the season three premiere of Rebels titled Step Into Shadows, parts one and two. So first, William, you want to give us a couple of announcements? Sure. So uh, the big one, and I, I, I'm trying to remember if this was, maybe I missed it. I thought the, the 8.30 p.m. Uh, time slot was special just for the season premiere. But no, it's actually every Saturday. Mm-hmm. Um, so new episodes will air every Saturday at 8.30 p.m. Uh, Eastern Pacific with uh, new episode guides on Monday. So you'll get Rebels Recon uh, the evening the episode airs, and then the following Monday is when the episode guides will go live. And, um, uh, and uh, of course, if you have Disney XD, it'll probably go up on the service Saturday morning as well. So I definitely like the new time slot. It... Uh, I think it'll be great for um, for families, for big Star Wars fans to kind of have it in a great evening time slot instead of the day of the week where people are often busy. So um, should be good for the show. Hopefully that'll that'll help the numbers as well. Um, secondly, there's a there's a big change with this this uh, season and this episode in particular. We have a new supervising director. It's no longer Dave Filoni. It is Justin Ridge who. Uh, if you may, may remember, worked on the Clone Wars with Filoni, uh, so he's no stranger to Star Wars at all. Uh, Filoni's actually been kind of mentoring Justin Ridge, and now he's taking over as supervising director. What does that mean? Um, well, probably not much. I know there's a big, a uh, lot of concern initially when this news broke on Twitter. Like, why isn't Dave Filoni involved? But. Uh, According to a, a statement from uh, Lucasfilm to Big Shiny Robot, Dave is still in, still just as involved as ever, overseeing all aspects of Star Wars Rebels production as executive producer and occasionally directing episodes. In many ways, mentoring Justin and moving him into the role as supervising director has made it possible for Dave to be even more immersed in the writing and story structure of the new show, as uh, sorry of the show, not the new show, uh, as well as creatively overseeing future animation development. Justin started with Lucasfilm Animation on the first season of Star Wars The Clone Wars and worked with Dave before that on Avatar The Last Airbender, so they've been working together for quite some time. Now, uh, you'll notice I slipped up and said new show instead of the show. Um, My personal theory, and I think this is shared by many people online, is that Dave Filoni is no longer the supervising director because he wants to have a higher level view and He's working on a new show. I mean, we've heard rumors hmm. of a new sh- that a new show is in the works. Uh, there was that 
uh, that writer. I don't remember her name off the top of my head. But, yeah, uh, I remember her. I, I followed her on Twitter. Yeah. yeah. Hang on a second. Yeah, you know what? I can dig it up. She's going to be working on a new show. I can, I can uh, dig that up. And it was with Lucasfilm, and she's, she's done a lot of animation before. So um, it, it looks like that may be uh, what's going on. That's, that's my theory, at yeah. least. Uh, Jen Murrow. That's there right. you go, Jen. Yeah, I was trying to dig it out. You guys are faster Sean, have than you I heard am. anything uh, uh, about this? Literally nothing. I mean, we all yeah. have heard the rumors. Uh, it's it's speculation. Uh, we yeah. all think post-return of the Jedi. But is that wishful thinking? I know it is on my part, but... Uh... Yeah, I, I think they might want to do it, though. I mean, with all the, with all the hype now, they've kind of gotten people back into Star Wars with the, um, the uh, you know, the original trilogy era. I think if they and and the the show is rapidly progressing as well, Star Wars Rebels. So, uh, you know, I could definitely see them saying, "Okay, well, we're let we're we're done with the um, the uh, the Empire, and let's move on to post Jedi with something new." So, yeah, and uh, with if they tie it in with Rogue One somehow, which we all mm-hmm. predict is going to happen, it would be a perfect crescendo for Rebels. Exactly, it really would. It really yeah. would. So. Uh, I am very, very excited to see what happens here. Uh, but I do think Filoni's working on a new project personally with uh, Jen Murrow and some other people. So, uh, but uh, in terms of Rebels, no day-to-day, I mean, no no changes overall to the show. Dave is still very much involved. <clears throat> we just have a new supervising director. Which I think it's great because whenever you promote somebody from within like that, that really shows the person has the trust of the company and he's good at what he does. So that's that's really cool. So yeah. that's congratulations to Justin Ridge on getting this because that's that's actually pretty cool. So with that, Tom, you want us to take us into the uh, into the episode rundown and yeah, here we go, episode? folks. We're kicking into season three, episode one. It's a two parter. The first part, naturally, is Steps in the Shadow, part one. This was written by Matt Mikovich and directed by Bosco Bosco Ning. Sorry, it's early morning here, folks. Um, and then we have episode two, also Steps into Shadow, part two, but this was written by Stephen Melching and directed by Mel Zwire. The synopsis for the episode is, as Kanan deals with the aftermath of his encounter with Maul, Ezra is tasked with leading rebel missions seeking ships, supplies, and new recruits eager to join the cause. With the pursuing forces of the Empire, now under the direction of the cunning Grand Admiral Thrawn, yay, the rebels must take greater risks forge unlikely alliances, and face foes from the past in their efforts to support the growing rebellion. A hell of a way to start a season three with Grand Admiral Thrawn showing up. Although he was there quite a bit less than I expected, I will say. I I agree with you, but I think that was probably tactically the best thing to do because he is a tactician, and would you really want to see him at the beginning? True. I... It makes me glad that it, he'll be around more than, you know, two episodes, which is kind of what I was afraid of. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, we, we can just dive right into it and then, and then you know, jump back to the beginning. But um, yeah. I think well, they, used, they used yeah, Thrawn a bit more sparingly um, than, than I thought he, w- he, he would be as well. But I think that's, that's, you know, the right way to go about it, right? He's, uh, they're introducing him early on. They don't want to make him kind of overbearing even his introduction was much more dramatic in the trailer than it was in the in the show itself mm-hmm. right uh they're just having a conversation around a table and just 
Thrawn walks into the room and there's not like a big swell of music or anything. He just kind of shows up and starts talking and everyone defers to him. Um, and he, he definitely commands the room, but it's more of a, a quiet, uh, you know, command. We, we, we kind of a little like bit of a Gregorian this. chant in the background, but that's about it. Sorry, Sean, you think you're saying something? He like he uh, less is definitely more with a character like this, and like he's earned a place in long-term fans' hearts in a big way. But he still has to earn it with newer people. So gradually. Yeah, and right. that that was the best way to bring him in because, like you said. Everybody here has been wanting Thrawn to come in, but it's the people who really are not familiar with the character to have him thrown right in your face. They're just going to get way confused about who is his character and what is his importance. This way they can build up his importance the proper way, and the people who are not aware of him will like him just as much as the people who wanted him in the show. Exactly. And there's definitely less mystery around Thrawn. I think people kind of know his past, and uh, there seems to be less... You mean in universe? Yeah, in yeah. universe. Yeah. Yeah, I was gonna say I'm still very curious, but but I, I will say, Stephen, to to that point, um, at uh, this is at Dragon Con actually. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Timothy Zahn uh, on one of the panels said that the the upcoming Thrawn book that he is writing uh, does not contradict any of his previous Thrawn books. Right? Really, the character of Thrawn does not contradict anything, and all that could still exist in that universe. Um, you know, That's obviously impressive. there are bits and there are bits and pieces, but like, yeah, he he wrote it such that those books could be taken back into canon without any any difficulties. Now there might be other parts of the story that are contradicted by other works, but at least in terms of the character of Thrawn mm-hmm. and how he works, there is absolutely no uh, nothing contradicting it in the show or in Timothy Zahn's book that comes out next April. I mean, and that, and that's the whole point of Legends, right? It, it's, it didn't happen anymore officially, but most of it or a lot of it could still be true and they can pick it up as needed and bring it in to canon. And so uh, I think that's that's really exciting, at least that they're, you know, the, the whole background and story of Thrawn still exists. And this new book fits into those puzzle pieces and doesn't overwrite anything, whatever, at, at all. So I guess what would be interesting is would Disney be brave enough to take those old Thrawn titles, if that is the case, and take the legend tag off of them. No, I don't. I don't uh, think. They'll, yeah, no. There's way I, too much in there. Oh yeah. Uh, well, but I. You know what? It's it's wishful thinking for all the fans that that could be the possibility. But if Thrawn, if Timothy Zahn is writing the book that way, then you know what? They could still have the legend tag on it. But if they don't contradict anything, works for me. Like I said, I, I think still, they can... I want to grab all those books and reread them again. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they can maybe rewrite them or tell the story from a different perspective or something. That's true. Since the Thrawn announcement, I've actually been giving Heir to the Empire to friends. It's like, this character is cool. You should read this book. <laughs> uh, so keeping it alive regardless. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Oh, I'm sure they'll keep reprinting it and that sort of that stuff. But um... Well, they just, in line with uh, kind of the new Rebels season premiere, they've reprinted the original trilogy with new covers and... Mm-hmm. And it's beautiful also, too. I saw it. it I at really Dragon like Con. it. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I, in Rebels Recon, um, the uh, Filoni, I think, and, and the cast and crew of the show said that uh, they've been, you know, throwing about the idea of including Thrawn in the series since season one, actually. Um, and finally, when season three rolled around, Dave Filoni said, 
you know what? I I think it's I think we're ready. I think it's time for Thrawn and and Kiri Hart um, agreed, and so she made the call, and that's why Thrawn is in the show at this time. Sean, what, what uh, I'm just curious. I want to get everybody's thoughts on it. What did you think of the uh, the look and the voice of uh, Grand Admiral Thrawn in the show? How do you think he, he his he and his personality fit uh, in terms of what came before and in the show in general? Perfectly. I mean, yes, he has pupils now. But to be fair, it, it works a lot better in animation to ha- have a character with pupils. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, we need yeah. to have something to look at. Absolutely. He would seem a little too inhuman among all those humans, I think, if he didn't have any. Right. I, I think that's why they had to do it. Um, Stephen, what did you what did you think of Thrawn? Um, uh, so I liked him. Like, start there, but it was... I don't know. Like, as I'm thinking about it, like he didn't quite match what I had in my head. But on the other hand, that's kind of expected, I suppose. Um, it, I'm actually I was kind of conflicted because he when he first shows up, he's very very logical, and for some reason that didn't quite fit in my brain. Even though that's a perfect description of him, <laughs> I don't know. Did it, like, was that just me or? I think that's accurate. I I, I did feel like Thrawn matched it checked all the check boxes matched actually 100 percent what if i really think about it he would have been but the voice uh-huh. as much as I, I to be perfectly clear i love the voice and everything yeah um but uh, voiced by lars mickelson um uh so i think it, it actually was perfect but it it still on some level kind of threw me off and i was like that's interesting that went that route and i thought about it, like of course yes he does talk slowly and he is very calculating and logical and you know not he's not the big commander kind of sits in the background and, um, yeah. you know, and quietly orders and moves all the you know people around and moves all the pieces into place. Like it all perfectly fits him. Uh, and I actually loved it, but it, it, at first it did kind of surprise me a bit. The for and some reason, and I can't, I don't know why. The other thing I thought was slightly off, uh, was, so he comes in, he gives his kind of big logical speech and then he, he delivers the ultimatum essentially. Like, First, I will like break them apart, and then they will destroy each other. It's like, uh, okay, like that felt more like it was for narrative effect than it's something I felt like Thrawn would actually say. It was a little on the dramatic side, I felt, but overall, I'm very, very happy he's in, and I'm glad he's going to be in and around uh, more than just a couple of episodes. I was worried he was going to be kind of like another Vader, where he shows up for the first the season premiere, beats everyone, and then disappears for the rest of the season, so the rebels can actually win. He might disappear for the rest of the season. Well, and then he well, might come back at the end. I hope not. I, I'm hoping not, but yes, that is. I have a feeling he will be uh, much more involved. Well, Vader, I feel like you have to be very careful with. Um, Thrawn, you do only because he's a beloved character, but um, I think he's easier to include in more episodes as long as, well, as you see in this episode, as long as he's letting the rebels escape because he has a larger plan, right? Or if he's, yeah. you know, he, he he says right as you mentioned, Stephen. You know, I will start here and pull the rebels apart piece by piece. They'll be the architects of their own destruction. So I think what we'll probably see is him manipulating the rebels in such a way that the rebels think they're winning the whole time. Mm-hmm. And even us, the viewer, it looks like they're winning in many ways. And then all of a sudden, they walk into their big trap at the end of the season. Well, even Commander Sato says during one of the uh, previews that the Empire is starting to get a little bit more 
um, on top of them when it comes to their defenses or uh, defenses or attacks when it comes to the you know defense of the rebels or attacks on the rebels. So it appears at some point, unless they're saving that for the end, at some point you're going to start seeing that happening, and you're going to see the effects of Grand Admiral Thrawn and how he's going to play them out and play them. Right. So. Right. We so, also found out that Thrawn was recently promoted to Grand Admiral uh, at, during the time of, of Rebels after his victory at Bratal, um, where apparently we see how calculating and, co- and cold he is. It's where uh, they had more civilian casualties mm-hmm. than um, the deaths of the insurgents. Um, but uh, the, the Empire decided those were acceptable losses. That was the other thing I'm kind of curious about, because Thrawn was always... At least in the books, he was kind of portrayed as the good bad guy in a sense. Um, he, you know, was someone who saw a lot of the Empire's excesses and still b- thought it was worth having. And so having him be like the a butcher of civilians essentially felt a little off as well to me. But is it him or is it Commander Price? That's the other thing to look at because she's the one. Yes, he was the one that won that battle. But is it possibly a balance between the two of them? You know, that's true. To her, they do seem to be kind of a team right now. Yeah, mm-hmm. and to her, because she was the one that said those were acceptable margins, right? I don't think it came from Agent Callus. So, yeah, yeah, that could be well, the I thought that came from Thrawn. Oh, it did? But I'm not okay. sure. No, she, I believe, used the term acceptable margins, uh, and he didn't say anything about it. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so maybe that'll show up later. You, um, you mentioned, uh, actually, Tom, I want to get your thoughts real quick mm-hmm. uh, on Thrawn, and then... Um, I have a. This was Agent Callus's really his big scene because he wasn't in the premiere that much. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I want to discuss that briefly. So before we move on, Tom, you have any thoughts on uh, on Thrawn? One thing I was really hoping for is I wanted to see. There's that one really, I'll call it beauty shot in the trailer of Thrawn where he's got his. Um, you'll you'll sell me whatever it is that uh-huh. when he comes. That's what I was hoping he would be first introduced with. He's just sitting behind the table, gets up, walks around it, and you see those statues where it's like on his shoulders. I was hoping for that. His introduction was great. Um, I think the best thing to do right now is, because he is such a beloved character, use him sparingly, but use him at the moments where he would do the best or be represented the best for that character in those moments. You don't want to put him in a, a position because of the character using him in the wrong way. So if they play it carefully with the character he's going to grow on a lot of people. Like he's already grown on us when it comes to the novels. So I have also no problem with him having pupils. Uh, I do think it would be a little bit disconcerting if he didn't have them, but in a way it also would have been cool if he didn't to see how that would have played out because of how the character is to have him without pupils. He could keep people uncomfortable because that's how he is. Mm-hmm. So that that's my thoughts. From a stylistic perspective, remember uh, Anakin had eyebrows under the helmet in the season two finale. Mm-hmm. This could be like that. It could be a similar kind of thing, you know, just in terms yeah. of animation. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it makes it easier to see who he's talking to as well. Oh yeah, and, and all that kind of stuff. So. Yeah, and on top of that, well, makes but, but that that in animation is kind of easy. That's kind of like you can just have a head turn. And, yeah. and the head turn could be pointed toward, you know, that direction. But it also, you know, it, it could be, it, it could have been used for, you know, uh, making a character uncomfortable, making the audience uncomfortable if there's no pupils there, you know. But I think doing this choice in the design, I think it, it works for the character. And, and I think, you know, it's totally. going to work. It's it's not an issue for me. 
totally. Yeah. Um, before we move on from the scene, I, I wanted to bring up one thing. So Agent Callus is, is in the room, and they're talking about acceptable losses and everything. I feel like Callus is much more, well, he was in the episode called The Honorable Ones, right? He's he's definitely more of a, he's a bad guy, but he's more of an honorable bad guy. Uh, and in the episode, The Honorable Ones, where he's trapped on a planet with Zeb, um, he kind of starts to realize that the rebels necessarily aren't all bad. Uh, and that at the very end of the episode, you remember, he gets effectively abandoned by the Empire and has to find his own way back. They kind of left him for dead. <clears throat> and um, it, it, it felt like he was kind of coming to a realization, even if it wasn't like completely, like he was just starting to realize, oh, these guys don't actually care about me. And he seemed kind of alone at the end. Um, but then, of course, as soon as that episode was done, we went straight into um, the, the big explosive ending of the, uh, of the series, you know, with the forgotten droid, the mystery chopper base, and then right into the, the season finale, uh, follow the apprentice. So we didn't really get to see, I don't think callous at all. Um, so I was kind of hoping we had, we got a little bit of that fallout from what happened and maybe that's coming up still, but, um, I was kind of hoping that we'd see a little bit more about callous's doubts, uh, in the back, yeah. uh, his, his very mentioning of the civilian casualties kind of furthers that aspect of his character. He clearly he was the only one in the room with a conscience, or that right. displayed a conscience. Mm-hmm. Right, and, and that's a good point. He he did. Um, I just and I just know that there's no they haven't had enough screen time for him yet. But I, I wish we'd gotten a little bit more into his character and where he's at um, personally after. After what happened. Well, maybe that's a topic they're going to bring up later in the series. Because if he's going to be... We we right now don't know how this is all going to play out. This is the seventh fleet that's been brought into this rebellion. And you already know that the one admiral that was there appears to have been quote-unquote demoted because now Thrawn is going to be running this. So how is Kallus going to be playing into this? With that other admiral, because I completely forgot his name, but the one that was... Constantine. In this, thank you. So the, uh, Admiral Constantine, are the two of them still going to be pawns in this game going forward or is it going to be always Grand Admiral Thrawn now the one that's going to be commanding the 7th fleet and Constantine's fleet so there could be friction there between three people now Constantine could probably lose his job at some point because Thrawn's going to say you know what you are a loser I don't Hmm. want you around anymore so (laughs) it's a bunch of thoughts going forward I'm really hoping that Kallus kind of becomes the Peleon of uh, Rebels. Kind of another one of those Imperial characters who's realized maybe the Empire is not perfect, but still believes in kind of the core principles and is the good guy on the other side, Mm -hmm. if you will. Mm -hmm. That would be the best option. Yeah. Or that he, he defects. That would also be acceptable, I think. That would be interesting. I I would I wonder if that would actually happen, or because I could see it this way. I don't see him defecting. I see him just leaving. Just well, he leaving. could always he could always be the no greed betrayer of Thrawn this time around. Ooh, the, the one that... who <laughs> the one who actually brings Thrawn's great plans to the ground. That'd be interesting. <laughs> yes, it would. All the options. Yep. So this this episode picks up, I think, uh, six months after uh, the events of season two. I, I believe that's that's accurate. Um, 
And uh, Ezra has a new look. He's uh, He's got a much shorter haircut. Uh, the blueberry is gone. And uh, Sabine has a new hairstyle, too. I know we talked about this during our celebration episode. This is the hairstyle she asked for in season two, and uh, they're finally giving it to her in season three. And we also have, again, the the, the recurring convory, the owl-like mm-hmm. creature on her shoulder pad, which is also very interesting that she has this on her shoulder pad. I know there are lots of theories about what the convories might mean uh, to the show, because we always see them during critical moments. Well, I thought that was kind of answered in this episode, but... Maybe you think was... so? Really? Oh, I thought it. I thought it just meant that they, they were kind of a sign of the Bendu, who uh, is watching over kind of everything that's happening. Destiny. That could be. Could be. Yeah. Could be. What What did you? Uh, I mean, what What did you think about the Bendu? We'll, we'll again jump jump straight into it. Um, Kanan hears a voice and goes in search of it, and. Um, runs into the Bendu. The the part I first off, um this was one of the Doctor Who doctors, right? Who did the voice? Yeah. Tom loved Baker, it. fourth doctor. Yeah, just loved it. I, I thought his voice with that character mm-hmm. perfect. Total perfect blending, total perfect character for that. I I really, really want to see more of this interaction to figure out where they're going for. I understand the Bindu is the one in the middle between the Sith and the Jedi, but I really want to see where they're going with this. What's the explanation? Because he can, he can look at a Sith holocron and to him, it's just like he said, this is just an object. An object can't make you Sith or Jedi. So what, what's going on here? What, what is, why are they in the middle? What do they hold in the middle between the two? Are they the ones that are the actual balance between the two? So I thought this was really interesting because a lot of what he talked about uh, remind me a lot of uh, Jason's journey in Traitor. This idea that it's there is no light or dark side. It's all about the the dark, lighter darkness is inside of the character, not inside of the Force. Right. Is the implication I was getting from what he was saying. That's what I got to. And the old Star Wars, you kind of threw that out almost uh, you know, a year or so after kind of bringing it up because it didn't quite jive with what Lucas had been trying to do with the prequels and um, Star Wars in general. So I, I found it really curious that they're bringing back a character who seems to be kind of espousing those principles. And, and that's what I find fascinating about the Bindu character because he is that guy to where, it, it, like I said, is he the balance between the two? That's what I find fascinating. How are they going to play that out? Hopefully they will keep exploring that through this season because it seems like the rebels are going to be on this base for a while. You know, so far from this episode, we appear, it appears they're going to be there. We know at some point they're going to Lothal because Lothal was already, in my opinion, it was brought up by Governor Price. Everything's going on there. They're going to attack that base, but they're going to attack it from some of them. They're going to attack it from here. What does the Bindu and Kanan have to do with all this? I reckon right. the Bendu is going to give the holocron to Ezra again because we've I think we've seen the holocron in trailers, so but we know it's not gone. Is it the same one, or does Maul have another one? Fair point. Yeah, mm-hmm. interesting. Because I uh, thought we I, also I definitely see, could though. Uh, sorry, I thought we also saw a Jedi holocron too. Yes. Yes, but um, yeah, I did think it was interesting that Kanan just left the holocron with bendu uh, this you know ancient mysterious 
enormous ox-like creature <laughs> that um, you know, is neither good nor bad, and he just leaves the holocron with him and, and, and walks away. Um, so I, I could see Ezra getting it again. Uh, one of my big questions is, how did the Bendu just happen to be on Atalan, where the rebel base is? Do you think that's a coincidence, or was it uh, somehow the Force or somehow intentional? Because like it's, it's, I don't think there's a Bendu on every planet, right? I think <laughs> so. Somehow, what are, the, what are the chances? Yeah, yeah. Well, what what's the chances that that planet that they're on right now means something? Because again, we're trying to figure out what was the meaning of Lothal. They had a Jedi temple on Lothal, so right. And then then again, so it's so long with the planet. I remember where, how did how I did mean, they find this planet? Uh, Chopper, right? No. Yeah, this is Chopper Base. Oh, yeah, Chopper. There you go. It was. So Chopper was the one who discovered the planet? Sorry. Actually, oh, no, it was... Um, uh, uh, wait a minute, that's on. right. It wasn't Mr. The Chopper. droid. It was the, the pilot. The Imperial droid. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Uh, yeah, that's okay. right. I'm sorry. AP5. I got, got him mixed AP5. up. AP5. That's right. Okay, so... For Athena Pertillo. Interesting. Yeah. So maybe it was just the will of the Force. That's true. Yeah. Uh, or it could be somehow AP5 or Chopper knew they needed to get to this base somehow. I always, I tend to just assume it's the force, whatever's yeah. happening, you know, things, things work out in a certain way. It's the force. And uh, Bendu is kind of like a, a deus ex machina. That's what he is. He's, he's directing things in a certain way. And yeah. so like he appears to be a force for good in these episodes, but it, it'll be made that he's it, the, the fact that he's somewhere in the middle will be made clear when he gives that holocron back. Yes. But when he gives a holocron back, is it the quote-unquote learning purpose to see that it's Ezra is the one that makes the decision that he's going that way to prove the point that it's not an object that can push you? Although, the one thing we haven't brought up yet about that Sith holocron, that Sith holocron had a voice and was actually talking to Ezra. Mm-hmm. So... Now, that's another thing thrown in there. Who is that voice? Because that's one thing right now that nobody has brought up. Well, it, it's the it's the presence that we saw in the season finale uh, voiced by Nika Futterman. Okay. Um, so, yeah, it's some it's an ancient Sith Lord that is, um, you know, her 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 her. Her presence basically is is in this holocron, right? An archived copy of her to train other Sith. And I'm going to throw this um, out there again, going back to the expanding universe. Could this be Abeloth? I had to throw that out. There. Oh, that would be I, and a huge stretch. I think had to throw that out there, guys. Had to. That would be surprising. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, but just just because because of how it was played out, I'm I'm thinking, huh. Who could be the? I I don't know why I'm still hoping that character shows up. I don't know why, but it's just it's just like this could play out that way. So that'd be yeah. very very interesting. Yeah, it it is. Uh, it was interesting how how easily I guess Kanan discovered the holocron. Uh, it was just out in in Ezra's room, and mm-hmm. Kanan walks into the room to talk to Ezra, and just happens blind guy happens to bump into the holocron. And, uh, you know, an argument ensues. Um, yeah, and, you know, Ezra's a very interesting character this season because he, he, he's trying to use the dark side for good, 
but it's very dangerous. Mm-hmm. Very dangerous. Yeah. Uh, and of course, Cannon takes it away. I felt like we were missing, I don't want to say a last time, but like a time lapse of some kind. So the relationship between the characters, is I feel like we missed a little bit by jumping as far ahead as we did. Like, I want to see a little more of Cannon withdrawing instead of here where he just kind of disappeared very, very quickly, I felt. Or like he was, we we were kind of left to assume that, oh yeah, of course he's been gone. Mm. And and I, I do agree because it seemed like it was just like a matter of fact is how it was treated instead yeah. of why. And, and, you, and you can understand because of the, the damage to his eyesight that he could withdraw like that. But it was almost like it was a matter of fact and they're all feeling sorry for him that this is mm-hmm. happening. And he's literally left Ezra out in the cold and that's making Ezra, you know, um, oh, God, the word was right on the tip of my tongue. Well, rebel. Yeah. Well, uh, you well, know, Ezra I feels rebel. guilty also. Yeah. Ezra feels, he feels like he caused the death, supposedly, as far as they think, of Ahsoka and um, and, and Kanan's blindness. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. He's feeling guilty. He, right. It's the right. guilt. And it's the guilt that's right. pushing him to where he even says to Holocron, Holocron he, <clears throat> excuse me, he doesn't want his friends or, or technically family to ever be hurt again. And you, we've heard that before. We've heard that all the way back to Anakin Skywalker. I don't know. Did, did that did that go well last time? Someone tried to use the dark side for, you know. Oh uh, God, no! It works every time. It's like yeah, a sure yeah. thing. That's Keep why everyone trying. does it. You know, it, you know. You try, 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 and try again. One of these times, you're going to have to score the perfect hit, and this time he's going to strike out again. We don't know yet, but yeah. yeah. But but Canada's is pretty messed up in this uh, in this episode, and it's all about really how Bendu teaches Kanan to. To kind of get over um, his issues, right? Because he's he's terrified of the, the Krikna, the, the spiders on the planet. Mm-hmm. The, but Bendu says, you know, he, he will teach Kanan how to see without his sight, and promptly destroys the the device that Kanan uses the to uh, ward off the the Krikna. Um, and he he teaches him, you know, how to sense the the Krikna and the Force, feel their vibrations in the ground, smell their you know their their foul stench, um, and uh, he realizes that they're actually harmless, and they they see um, they see the fear and anger in Kanan, uh, and that kind of helps him um, realize that there's nothing to fear from these these spider creatures. Tell that to the rebel pilot they ate. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, true. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because even even then, before um, before of all, I mean, Kanan had some fear to be sure before the premiere or before the the season finale where he lost his sight. But um, uh, yeah, the, I think in this case, the the rebels kind of landing in the Krikna's, uh home, and they're they're just afraid and trying to protect their their high nest their territory something? maybe territory <laughs> yeah I, so it's one of those things I, I really liked some of the development we saw between Kane and Ezra in this episode as well mm-hmm. um this episode especially, they very much had kind of like a, a father-son sort of relationship where Kanan, because he's dealing with his own trauma, kind of is forced to withdraw. And Ezra is has kind of become the the teenage rebellion incarnate type of character where oh yeah like and you could like i kind of laughed the the part where kanan takes the holocron away like ezra don't you know this is bad i'm taking it away mm-hmm. like 
Yeah, that that never works. Like, net, like all all you can even see, like all it does is make Ezra even more resentful. He and starts so seething I, inside. I've yeah, seen that, that firsthand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you might be familiar with it, Tom. Hey, I love my son. I've I've seen some of this. I'm like, yeah, that reminds me of my son. It, ah, if he hears this, he's going to be like, Dad. <laughs> but it, and it, and to have the Bendu kind of that's why I was okay with the Bendu taking the holocron, and mm-hmm. I don't mind even Ezra pulling it later because I think Kanan realizes the holocron isn't going to make isn't the one that's making Ezra evil. It's Ezra's own actions and decisions, and that's where Kanan has to you know focus his effort on the person, not the object. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I look forward to seeing that kind of. I hope I, it's going to develop more this season. Is kind of they tug and pull at Ezra's uh, slide down to, to the dark side. Potential slide, I should say. Yeah, because we don't know how that's going to all play out right now. I, I still think it could happen. I mean, what do you guys think? Do you, do you think Ezra's going to get darker and darker? We, we, we've seen a pro, uh, big progression of that already in, in this episode. Yep. Well, Okay, from from a fatherly point of view on this, he's more of like a cranky, spoiled child who has to get his way. Which, yeah, that is going down the dark side. I mean, it even <laughs> well, but but I think it even proves the point when they go to it's Recklin Station to go to go get the uh, the Y wings, where he's like demanding, "This is my mission. I'm going to do it this way." And this and that. it's like you know what? It, sadly, in cases like that, you're going to have to go. Okay, you're gonna to have to learn from your mistake, and technically, he really learned from his mistake. Mm-hmm. So, but you know, I, I I see it. I see him going that way. But in this episode, like I said, it's more of the spoiled child. So yeah, well, it, a little bit more than that, though. Spoiled child who's using uh, the dark side, well, right? Because uh, so, that, that's that that's a little thing right there. Yeah, it's like the the episode starts out and uh, the rebels are infiltrating a prison on Naraka to uh, to rescue someone. We don't know who initially. Turns out it's Hondo. Uh, Love having Hondo back, voiced by Jim Cummings, one of my favorite Clone Mm -hmm. Wars characters. And uh, and his Ugnaught assistant partner. Oh, God. um, Business partner, something like that, uh, named uh, Turba. And Turba is... Uh, he's a little bit, I guess, impulsive and mm-hmm. kind of does his own thing. Uh, oh, he, paid he immediately, too. yeah, during the escape, he, uh, he runs out the door and just gets completely blown to smithereens by the, uh, the ATDP, uh, out on the landing platform. He does, well, I mean, he doesn't get blown to smithereens. He's blown off camera, which obviously means he survives somewhere else. Okay, but but the thing the thing about that that totally cracked me up, and you're just like, dude, do you really have to sit there, throw your arms up with your head in total glee, eyes closed, like I'm free, and then he gets blown to bits. <laughs> it was so unexpected. It was, uh, it really and, was. and and brutal in many ways. Like you don't really see him die, but at the same time. You, he, there's a giant explosion. Well, right? you, have it, to, <laughs> you have to admit this whole little sequence was brutal in its in, in what I was going to say. Saw. The the next piece where Ezra is using the walker to blow up the other stormtroopers and mm-hmm. then walks off the edge was uh, hardcore. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and and that's what I'm starting to talk about, right? Where he he is becoming darker and darker all the time, and it's more of a. Ca- 
he he does it for good, but it's a very casual use of like, yeah, I'm just gonna take an ETDP, use it to shoot a storm tro- bunch of stormtroopers, and then uh, walk itself right off the ledge and mm-hmm. plummet to its death. Like, and, and even that kind of thing surprised uh, his uh, his friends. Sabine, you know, asks, "When did Kanan teach you that?" And he says, "He didn't." Very ominously. Um, even so, I. I thought it was a good example because, you know, uh, why am I? Uh, Zeb thought it was awesome. Yeah, and that's true. It, yeah, this, he did. It's from an outside perspective. If you're not a Jedi, not a viewer who's very familiar with the Jedi, you can totally see how this is just like, oh, that's really awesome. That's a really powerful ability. The light right. and dark of it doesn't really come into it other than like, wow, that's kind of brutal. But, you know, but it's also that, but but, it, but they're it, also the enemy, right? Yeah. And, yeah. And, and to be fair, it's kill or be killed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But there is that counterbalance with Sabine, where Sabine saw it as like, this is not good. I mean, you have Zeb, like like you said, Stephen, hey, this is cool. But you could tell Sabine, in in a couple instances, especially when they were going into Reclam Station, it's the look on her face like, this is not good. This is not the way it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so they... Um... They uh, they they rescue Hondo. Thankfully, Hera comes in, rescues the group, and uh, and um, they they decided to go to to scout out Reclam Station. This is the details that Hondo gave them, uh, where there are some Y wings that are being uh, destroyed for scrap by the Empire. Uh, some Y wings from the Republic, and uh, the rebels decide they need to steal one of these squadrons to help with the destruction of the Imperial facility on Lothal. And so, of course, Ezra is promoted lieutenant commander and put in charge of this mission. Um, what uh, Thoughts on, uh, on uh, you know, how <clears throat> Ezra basically gets... Uh, right at the beginning of this scene, Ezra is scolded for not knowing all the details. Mm-hmm. And actually, this happens again um, later on, too, when he goes off mission, right? He decides, no, no, no... Um, I need to go rescue these ships because they're going to be all completely destroyed by the time the scouting mission is over. If we don't do it now, we're never going to get these ships. And he changes the mission parameters. Um, should he have done that? Because I had a very interesting discussion with our good friends, Riley and Bethany, uh, about this after the episode aired. And they had some good points. So uh, do you guys think, you know, he, he's, he's constantly getting in trouble for not knowing all the details and uh, changing the mission parameters was he correct or, or not? I, Especially when I, he, with his position as, you know, commander on the battlefield. I thought it was totally reasonable. <clears throat> it, it was a good... It wasn't the right call. His tone as he went about it was questionable, though. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I... To be honest, I think they should have left. I, I really think he got himself into a position to where he could have lo- lost his crew. Is the crew, uh, are the ships more important than your crew? Okay. It, it, it's, I, for me, it's a tough. T- it's a tough call, but I honestly would have looked at it saying, "Is it worth the risk?" I mean, I know at a certain point they had fifteen, but then it started getting lower and lower. Is it worth the risk to call in the fleet? And if the fleet can't get there in time, there will only be like one or two left. And are you going to risk? blowing your cover which it ended up happening anyway but blowing your cover that you were coming in here to steal it so i i I don't know it would have been hard to walk away but there was a part of you thinking you almost had to walk away 
See, I'm okay with them staying. I think once they decided, like, okay, we need to act now, there could have been some other uh, thinking they could have done before they just charged in and got themselves blown up. But from Emma's point of view, right. if they didn't charge in, there probably would have been at that time maybe uh, they ended up leaving with six. They started with 14. So by the time they would have thought some thinking, they could have been down to about maybe three or four. And then in that case, it's like you had no choice but to jump in. And as the saying goes, a good battle plan is only as good in the first 30 seconds of battle. Other than that, it's gone. So if they, if they would have charged in, then they would have gone in knowing absolutely nothing and had to put up with what they had. And they could have walked away with only one ship. Is that worth the risk? The rebels are the underdogs, and they constantly have to take risks. Mm-hmm. The entire original too. trilogy was risks, 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 risk, constant risk. Yeah. yeah, no, that's a good point too. Yeah, no, you're 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 totally right, and I think um, Riley and Bethany's point was like, yes, he didn't, he he changed the mission parameters, but when you're on the feet on the ground, right, and, and they're in ROTC, the right. the you know they were they did a um, a panel about military and, and Star Wars. Uh, and, and politics and Star Wars at, at, at Dragon Con. Um, when you're on the field, right? Uh, ultimately, it's it's Ezra's call at that point. Uh, he did nothing wrong, and really, Hera shouldn't have been quite so hard on him um, uh, at the end of the episode because, and I mean, he gets what stripped of his rank temporarily and everything. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, you know, he, he he realized that once he was on the ground, things were different than what they had thought, and if they mm-hmm. were going to complete their mission they had to do it now and this recon mission had to turn into the actual mission um and and from a military perspective that's totally within his yeah and i think it reflected more on the fact that they maybe they shouldn't have uh, promoted ezra to lieutenant commander mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. if they didn't have faith in his judgment then that, that i agree that was enti- it's on their fault for promoting him not his fault for taking initiative and it's 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 one of those things. I also understand their point of view. Like Ezra has, uh, you know, Zeb, who is a planetary bodyguard, uh, so he knows a few things. Sabine, who knows a few things, and then there's Rex, who you know fought an entire war and is pretty familiar with uh, everything. Like I I do under he, he, Ezra should have listened to them, but I don't know. I don't think it was as clear cut as they would prefer it to be. Rex should probably have been in charge. Yeah, yeah, probably, probably. It, it it but that that makes logical sense. It makes less dramatic sense. Yeah, true. that is true. True. But think about think about being Zeb, and you know, all of a sudden, your younger brother effectively gets the command instead of you. Gotta feel bad for that guy. Mm-hmm. And yet, he still backs up. Uh, he still backs up Ezra at the very end and defends him. Mm-hmm. So, well, uh, it's. So, Maybe I could actually see. Maybe this was like they thought this would be kind of an easy mission for Ezra to kind of mm-hmm. try him out. Like, hey, Ezra, don't, just go scout him out. There's no combat. You'll do fine. Don't worry about it. And then he gets there, and you know, do you pull Turn him off the combat. mission? <laughs> like, there's no one to pull him off the mission because it doesn't make sense to someone who's like higher ranked than him. And it was just, it was a, a tough situation all around. I think. Well, I think yeah. if anybody, if anybody were to let's say quote unquote pull rank, it probably would have had to have been Rex because Rex would have had the most experience. Because he mm-hmm. has fought for so long. But that's that's the choice, or that's the question. Would Rex have actually, which he didn't, but would Rex have actually pulled rank and said, look, you know, understand you're a Jedi, understand this, but in certain cases like this, you are still learning. 
you can still be under my command because you're still learning and this might be over your head so since I've got the most experience let's talk this out but let me make the call on how things get done but it's still your mission I mean ask yeah. me for advice because really that that's what he should have done is looked at Rex and said hey what's your advice on this how can we go about this yeah exactly yeah so as they they arrive on uh, they arrive at Reclam Station on uh, on the planet Yarma, and uh, it's a kind of a, a cool scene where these dismaler droids attack the Phantom, and Rex has to basically lean out the back and try to shoot them uh, and, and defend against these dismaler droids as much as possible. Uh, and he almost falls out, but Zeb catches him. The dismaler droids looked very familiar to me. Really? Are they like a, an old, I want to say like an old like concept art for the Death Star from Macquarie or something? Uh, maybe maybe I'm completely wrong. I, uh, I don't have my Macquarie book with I, me. I can't tell I you. Do, I did not recognize them, but I also don't feel confident enough to say that they are like... I could be completely off base. I am not an expert about uh, Macquarie concept art at all, but I could have sworn that was like an early, hmm. an I, early it version. Surprise me. Yeah. If only we had the episode guide. Curses. <laughs> <laughs> if only we'll I had my Macquarie book tomorrow when it, when it goes online. <clears throat> but uh, I vaguely remember that. But anyway, uh, they're they're kind of um, terrifying droids in in many ways. Um, well, they seem like they were souped up buzz droids. Yeah, yeah way souped up buzz droids. That's actually completely correct. And yeah. uh, they 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 fight them while the. Uh, while they're trying to arrive on the planet, and of course they take out the the Phantom's engines, they kind of plummet into the storm until uh, Chopper finally manages to you know get the engines working again. Um, and, and by the way, we're leaving one little one little detail out about this when it comes to uh-huh. a certain character. I really love how Hondo just totally forgets to mention that because he's the one that had the intel on this, and then Zed. Kind oh of right. Goes, yeah, but but yeah, I also but like fun. I also like the Hondo line saying you know. Um, how did he, how did he put it? It's like, you know, make sure we get down there because I want my ship. I mean, my payment. Yeah. However, that was. That is Honda's a... Yeah, he's obsessed with this ship in this yeah. episode. Steven? No, I was gonna say Hondo is always gold and good for dialogue like that. I feel. It's just Jim Cummings. He nails it every single line. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I could I could watch a show just about Hondo. I would love to have been in the recording session when Jim Cummings had to do the voice, or basically speak to the Ugnots. Ugnots. That I would have loved oh, to been, have seen. That would have been amazing. That would have been be classic. Here. Oh God, that would have been classic to be there. Yes, I assume it, the script just read oink oink yeah. here. Oink, yeah, oink, and, oink. and he just he just went off. Yeah. <laughs> it's. It's funny. So I've been playing uh, the new World of Warcraft expansion, and there's a character I ran into that I'm. I need to double check. I am like 95% sure it's voiced by Jim Cummings because he's doing almost the exact same like Hondo and Aka like kind of inflection, and it's mm-hmm. it's just it, every time I heard it, it made me laugh because it's <laughs> so well done. <clears throat> gotta love, gotta love Hondo. Yeah. <clears throat> So they they arrive on the on the planet. And, you know they they rescue uh, a trio of Ugnaughts to help them uh, shut down the conveyor so they can steal the the X wings. Um, 
but they need to refuel them. And while they're refueling the Y wings, okay, X wings, the Y wings. So uh, I think we're getting, I think we're a little rusty, guys. <laughs> no, that's okay. Um, we're doing good. Hey, but uh, it's been, it's been a while. yeah, exactly. I'm Th- gonna this, go with that. this is nothing new. Uh, um, they, uh, they, uh, so they're refueling the Y wings, and that's when the dismantler droids attack again. And of course, Hondo hides as per usual, and Kanan, uh, and, and you know Rex goes to to rescue um, uh, Sabine and, uh, and and Zeb. Um, but that, that's when we get the 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 dismantler droid attacking uh, Rex. <clears throat> and you almost, I almost felt bad for the dismantler droid in the scene because Rex kind of like, <laughs> like, like smashes him up into this. Uh, kind of jams this machine against this male droid and like it's like wiggling around like crazy just blows it up and then pushes it it sets it on fire and then drops it off the side of the platform where it screams and falls to its death uh i almost felt kind of bad for the dismantle droid no I half measures <laughs> yeah no <laughs> rex rex gets stuff done yeah for sure well he's a, he's no clone trooper he knows how to blow things up yeah. Yeah, actually, yeah. while I'm thinking about it, I'm very glad that uh, Rex is at least so far playing a more active role this season. Yeah. Yeah, uh, he, he's he, he's he's on the main mission with the rest of the group. Um, I love it. it. It's great seeing Rex. And and this yeah, is where I, this this is where I'd like to see Rex become more of a mentor when it comes to uh, Ezra, like he was mm-hmm. with Ahsoka. To give that advice there to to say okay this is great but you could have done this a little bit better you know mm. hopefully to kind of ground Ezra a little bit more maybe not so much to where Ezra's always dependent on the you know the the, the dark side holocron and go that way but to actually have him be the way he was in the Clone Wars this at this point going into season three would be the best possible use of Rex going forward yeah right. you would think Rex would be familiar with the uh power going to a padawan's head yeah but yeah <laughs> um one of the things i i really enjoyed and in many ways reminded me about it reminded me of um the freemaker adventures actually is commander titus yes commander brahm titus is in command of this uh this station and if you remember he was actually a captain in stealth strike but he lost the interdictors and uh he was bumped down to commander and of course ezra just you know he, he ezra runs into the um into the bridge of the of the of the ship and just makes fun of titus uh telling him you know to prepare for another devotion and it's it's really great it reminds me of you know in in the free maker adventures where um, I'm trying to remember those two characters' names. Oh, top yeah. They keep getting demoted in every single episode until they finally reach, you know, rock bottom. Uh, and I feel like kind of Titus is the rebels version of those characters. It would be amazing if we saw him again and he was a lower rank. Oh, that would be very <laughs> funny. Because he loses the whole ship. But to his credit, to his credit, he stops and signals the evacuation order before running away. Mm-hmm. Um. Because Ezra, again, another perfect example of, you know, his 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 darker side, realizes that the only way to unlock the Y wings is to destroy the power to the station. And actually, Titus kind of mocks him. He's like, "Ha! Lock the Y wings. You'll never be able to steal them unless you destroy the ship's sta- the ship's power." 
but um, you know, why would you do that? Because you're a good guy, effectively. Uh, and that's when I was like, well, okay. And just, just, you know, jams his lightsaber into the panel. <laughs> problem solved. Yeah, problem. Well, not so much solved as we found out. I mean, he kind of causes a problem for himself. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Okay, fair. Steven, as our as our resident vehicle expert, uh, ship expert, what did you think of the of the the scene where uh, Sabine Chopper, Zab and Rex take the Y wings and escape? I, I I was okay with it. I didn't have any issues. I was. I was. We, okay. Are you, go ahead. Are, well, I'm curious. What what was your? Did you have an issue with it? No, no, I, I think it was, I've actually enjoyed the fact that, you know, we had Chopper piloting multiple ships, and I thought it was very shot very well. Um, I thought it was cool. Yeah. So anytime there's a ship scene, though, we got, we got, to, get, we got to get your thoughts. Fair. <laughs> I, I was excited to see the Y-Wings. Very excited. And to see the armor stripped off and kind of reveal how they come to look like they do in episode, uh, episode four. Oh, mm-hmm. sorry. Not to sit here and have the light bulb moment, but that's why the armor was stripped off the X-Wings. Yep. I was trying. I was sitting there trying to figure out why do they all of a sudden look like the ones that are in episode? Now you explained it because that's what they look like without their armor. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I completely I, missed that too. So did I. Well, I have to go back and look. <laughs> yep. So did I. I did and too. I, I mean, I can't, leave it to Steven to be the one to figure that out. And that Lightener. now makes total sense. And I have to say, I, there was a shot where all the uh, Y-Wings are flying away from the planet was very reminiscent of Episode 4 as well. Yes, it was. Mm-hmm. Yes, it, it was. It was extremely well done. Yeah. And thankfully, the ghost and the, the rebel fleet, in, in air quotes, arrives just in time to pick them up. Mm-hmm. Um, although uh, Ezra's kind of stuck back on the on the planet. Did you guys get an Empire Strikes Back vibe at all from from that rescue the rescue of ezra because you know the the phantom wow we almost skipped over this the phantom falls uh off the platform is destroyed we lose the phantom destroyed yeah first crew member to die yep yeah poor phantom i think that's why the phantom looks a little bit different in the uh the recent lego sets though um Hmm. i think at least will they will they replace the phantom I I, i assume they have to it makes well, sense that because they've used the Phantom so much, they do yeah. need some. Mm-hmm. They do need they do need that secondary ship, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, but no, I mean you've you've got you've got Kanan and Ezra almost communicating with each other through the Force, like you know Ezra's calling out to Kanan, um, and then you have this ship, you know, racing uh, down and and. Uh, basically, the Kanan reaches out the side door to grab Ezra's hand. It's very much like, um, you know, Lando grabbing um, Luke from the bottom of Cloud City mm-hmm. uh, in The Empire Strikes Back, uh, combined with um, uh, Lando also, uh, and, sorry, Han trying to rescue Lando while blinded in Return of the Jedi. Boba um, Fett. Boba Fett, where? Exactly. <laughs> a little higher, just a little higher. Uh, so that, that was a that was kind of a, a cool scene where yeah. you know Ezra has to jump and, and trust in Kanan to rescue him, mm-hmm. to catch him. Well, that that's a good way for the two of them to start, let's say, mending bridges. Mm-hmm. So yeah, 
it had to happen that yeah that reconnecting moment yeah quite quite literally and yeah, yeah the, the slight leap of <laughs> faith yeah, that's good i'm yeah. trying yeah i don't know i can't think of any other good puns even peel couldn't figure out anything so we just move on yeah hey <laughs> first one for season so, three had to throw it there so i will say one of the things i really liked about this episode is if you think about the the progression of rebels thus far season one was about the lethal rebels season two was about uh I'm going to call it the Lethal Sector Rebels. Mm-hmm. And I think we're going to find that Season 3 is about the Rebel Alliance itself. Uh, mm-hmm. There's Hera mentions that the Y-Wings that they're taking are actually meant for another rebellion, another Rebel fleet, um, under a certain Dodonna, who sound vaguely familiar Ooh, to me. That sounds familiar. And of course, Price, uh, when the Rebel fleet, the Lethal Rebel fleet arrives, she talks to Thrawn, and Thrawn says, no, no, this isn't the goal. We want the full Rebel fleet. We can wait. Now, now I can definitely tell by what you just said, Stephen, why they're bringing in Thrawn at this point. Because you said the perfect example is this has now moved to more of a more epic space rebellion instead of the little insurgents. And he is the one to best deal with the more epic space, wide-ranging, plotting, destroying Mm -hmm. theories and, and to pick this apart. Because who they've had before to deal with the little insurgents has not been working. And right. who's, who's, who's your best cleanup man? Who's your cleanup hitter to bring in when you've got to get a home run at the bottom of the ninth? You bring in your best tactician at this point because it's a wider rebellion. You bring in Thrawn. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. Yep. Total sense. So good call, folks. And it uh, allows for more scenes with sort of Imperial higher-ups, which are always amazing to watch. Yep. And more space battles, too, because Mm -hmm. everything was so planetary-based. Now that we're getting into these ships and we're getting into fleets, now we'll still see some planetary because at some point they are going to have to go back to Lothal because they have set that up in this episode. But it's bringing in the more epicness of Star Wars now. Right. And actually, we, yeah. we almost completely skipped over this, but we, we do get a, a brief space battle as well midway through the episode. I believe they're at the Zarita hyperspace waypoint. Oh, that's uh, right. Ready, we, ready uh, for the second jump, and the mining guild returns. Yeah. Uh, and we try to make them pay a, a hyperspace toll, basically, and, and register with oh. the Empire. Um, and and yeah. thankfully, they, they escape. But again, another example of Ezra going darker as he tells Sabina Rex to destroy the mining guild transport uh, instead of just, you know, escaping. But in this mm-hmm. point, yeah, the old Thip killed them all. Yeah, but but yes, actually, in this point, out. in this point, he should have done it because the Empire did know that they went through that that sector. So he, he was had right. a point in this that he had a right to get rid of it. It was just oh, yeah. a, a bit too psycho for them. Yeah, mm. yeah, it was. So especially the way he presented it. So anyway, killed them all. Just kidding. He didn't say that. Well. His voice got really gravelly. Wipe them out. Yes, <laughs> piece by piece. Just kidding. <laughs> so, uh, but thankfully, you know, by the end of the episode, Ezra and Kanan have resolved their differences. Wow. And, uh, it seems it, like it, at least. Well, then, I mean, Ezra's still going to be using the dark side a bit more, but he seems to be okay with Kanan again. Um, yeah, I guess know, I mean, earlier true. in the episode, he said, I don't need you, right? And and by the end, he, he thanks Kanan for coming to rescue him. And mm-hmm. Kanan says, I'll always come back for you. 
Um, so they're, they're kind of starting to resolve things. Okay, but but again, if you're looking at the rebellious teenager, will it ever, ever be resolved? There will always be that friction between, okay, if you're going to say it, a father and a son or a mentor a mentor and, and his mentee. Is that a word? I don't know. Hey, it's mentee Sunday morning. Is a word? I, it is. It is. Oh, wow. Score one point that, for me. <laughs> Score a point. Haven't had the coffee yet, folks. So, um, <laughs> I mean, it... it it's still going to be the friction between the two of them because you have the dark side pulling at Ezra, even Kanan knows it, and the Bindu. Or not so much the Bindu knows it's pulling at Ezra, but the Bindu did notice that there is, you know, conflict, not evil conflict, but conflict within within Kanan. And as soon as he gets that resolved, maybe that will help him try and pull Ezra back. But since there's there, all that conflict in Kanan, it's making Ezra pull further away. So at this point, it's a good connection, but there's always going to be that friction between the two of them. Yeah, uh, presumably I, the Bendu. Oh, apologies. Continue. No, no, go. Oh, well, presumably the Bendu wouldn't be that interested in pulling Ezra back. No, no, no. I mean, if he's neither, yeah, uh, he could. He he could. He could even create balance between the two by forcing Ezra to the dark, or helping along him along the way to the dark. More. Mm-hmm. That's going to be the interesting thing is to see what, what. What's going to benefit the Bindu if they keep bringing him back in between Kanan and Ezra? How that's going to play out? Mm-hmm. What benefit is it for him to get involved in this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I was, so what I was going to say is, I think the other thing to remember is just because they uh, they're I don't want to say they agree with each other, but just because Ezra and Kanan are back on good terms doesn't mean they can't still disagree about the methods of how to do things. Because mm-hmm. up until this point, Ezra's actually had pretty good luck using the dark side to, uh, you know, do his thing. I would fully expect him to continue to try and use the dark side and no matter what Kanan th- says. Oh, I, I, I think you're 100% correct there. I don't yeah. think we've seen the end of Ezra's darker powers. Well, that we know we're going to see more of it because Maul is sitting. Maul in one of the trailers is sitting right across from Ezra with holocrons, and you know Mm -hmm. Maul is going to be involved. And Maul wants Ezra as his apprentice. He already has called him last season his apprentice in the in the the season uh, uh, climax episode. So you know Maul is going to be playing a part in this. Now, here's going to be an interesting thought. Do you think at any point in the series, Maul will actually meet the Bindu? And what would possibly happen? Ooh, that would be exciting. I never even considered that. That would be very interesting. Huh. I like that idea a lot. I don't know. I mean, I think Maul will have to arrive on the Talon first. But if he arrives that way, do you think he's going to arrive as, as a, a, as beneficial for me? I'm going to join the rebellion at this point because it's interesting when you saw the trailers when they talk re- the, the rebels, one of the one of the characters that always shows up whenever you heard Thrawn talk about the rebels was Darth Maul. When he mentions rebels, so is it going to be a a opportunity of convenience for him to go to this planet because he may have something the rebellion needs, and at that point meet the Bindu? Mm-hmm. Hmm. I like it. I like it a lot. And this is this not is from sure. a guy who has not had his coffee yet. 
Imagine what she'll be thinking when you get your coffee. I don't think so many you, I don't know. She'll <laughs> be thinking a million miles a minute. Probably. <laughs> Probably. Are, are we ready for uh, our, uh, our uh, review of this, our, our Womp Rat scale? Yeah, let's uh, let's get into this. Uh, I think we've pretty much covered everything in this episode exhaustively. Yeah. Um, Steven, oh, you give us your thoughts on uh, on Thrawn first. Sure. So, um, it's the I'm I'm trying to think of how to summarize this. Uh, so I'll start. I think I'm gonna give the episode an eight out of ten. Um. I, I definitely enjoyed the episode. I thought the first half hour, there was a little bit of a dip in terms of uh, the action. But I think uh, and on reflection, a lot of that, I think, was me trying to kind of catch up with everything that had happened in uh, the previous six months. Um, overall, I just I thought it was a very promising start to the season. I thought we've got kind of the big story beats set up. We've got the Adana's Rebellion, uh, Rebel Fleet. We've got Thrawn. All the pieces are there. Um, so I thought the episode did a great job. I just... It, I, I the only thing I think is I would have liked a little more of an explosive beginning. Um, this felt much more like it's kind of a slow burn, slowly introducing characters that are going to be become bigger throughout the season. So yeah, eight out of ten womp rats, and I have to think of something to do with my womp rats. And ooh, this is tough. Um, I think I'm just my womp rats are going to be they're going to be imperial workers on that the reclaim reclaim station and. Uh, I'll let you imagine what happened to them. They're sure they're all... Yes, exactly. They're <laughs> all fine and enjoying a beer out on the Death Star somewhere. <laughs> and they're perfectly safe on the Death Star. Absolutely. Exactly. They're in that bar that they wrote the book about, remember, that was on the Death Star? <laughs> Can't remember it offhand. They're all kicking back. Yeah, exactly. See? Yeah. Death Star? <laughs> oh, there you go. No, the bar. The actual bar oh, okay. inside the Death Star. I oh, oh, that. yeah. Sorry, I thought you were the Death Star. Yeah. Okay. Um, Sean, do you want to go next? Oh, oh, the the one Brad thing. Oh, oh I'm <laughs> kind of nervous about this. Well, um, you, so, well, you you could go last if you want. That way, you could see how we torture ours, and you could oh, either, yeah. you know, you could be nice <laughs> or not. So. Or, or you could steal the idea that's sort of forming in my head. <laughs> that's the other um, thing too. That's we've had that happen. So I will give it nine out of ten Womp Rats, but of course Grand Admiral Thrones knows that that it's not the main Womp Rat fleet, and that the rest of the season will be better. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. Nice, okay. very nice. Okay, um, you know what? I'll go next. William, you want to go last? Sure. Okay. Um, I am going to actually give this one. Oh, God, I'm going back and forth. You know what? I'm giving this one a 9. I was going to go 8.5, but I might as well just round it up to 9 because I'm going to have fun with my Womp Rats, and that's why it's going to be a 0.5 to make it 9. Um, Steve and I agree with you on this episode. I thought it started as a slow burn. But I think, and I'm hoping, there's a reason why that's the case. Because when you have a character like Thrawn coming in here, and if he's going to be a tactician, hopefully they're doing the exact same thing with this season. They're tactically going to start building when they get toward the end and the end is going to be the one where it's going to be like, you're going to see that fuse just get bigger and bigger and bigger and mm -hmm. bigger. And, and I don't think they're going to let us down if that's not going to be the case. I think with, with Thrawn, if he's used correctly, it's going to be an outstanding season. Um, but I think they're, they're building to something and that's why it's, it started off the way it did. So 
I love the introduction of Thrawn. Um, I love the introduction of, okay, you, br you brought back that guy who, who lost his command. I do hope he ends up like, you know, the, the guys from uh, uh, Freemakers. He ends up somewhere else, maybe on a garbage scowl. We see him again. Um, I liked it. So I'm going to give it a nine. I am taking my nine Womp Rats. They're going to be the guys who actually went, that are on Reclam Station, stripping the armor off of every Y-Wing that was there, and they worked their butts off to exhaustion. So, Poor Womp Rats. Yeah, because it was only nine Womp Rats. And how many did they actually get there? You know, maybe five squadrons worth, and a squadron is made up of how much? You know, within a squadron? So they worked their little Womp Rat butts off, and... You know, they just left on the station of exhaustion. So <laughs> I'm done. Anyway, William. Nice. Yep. Yeah, so I uh, I really enjoyed this episode. It was especially great to watch it, you know, on the big screen. Nothing compares to that. Lucky. Um, you know, and, and just kind of with the, the energy of, of the room. Uh, I, I think Thrawn was handled extremely well. Uh, it was he, he he is Thrawn, right? There's there's nothing uh, nothing to worry about if if you love Thrawn, he's in back in Star Wars. He's canon. It's awesome. Um, I, I and I'm really looking forward to seeing him be used more throughout the rest of the of the series. Um, I think this episode, as you know, Tom and, and Stephen, you, you both said, it, it kind of starts off a little bit slower, um, but also coming off of the season two finale, like it's really hard to top a conflict that has been eight years in true. the making. Right. Very true. And so, yes. uh, you know, coming off of that high, right. It, it's, it, it's really hard to match, um, uh, that level of excitement. Uh, but I think they still did a, a very good job. I will say, I think the, uh, the, the B and C plots in some ways were more interesting than the A plot. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that, uh, Kanan and how he deals with uh, where he's at, uh, Ezra and you know how he's going darker, and then of course the introduction of Thrawn. So I guess the BC and, and D plots were much more interesting than than the the the, the theft of the Y wings. Um, I thought it was it was fine. Um, it didn't blow me away at all, um, but it was a great backdrop for the introduction of of Thrawn. So. Uh, with that, I'm going to give it, uh, uh, it's hard. I'm going to give it eight and a half. I'll go back to eight and a half and nine, but eight and a half Womp Rats out of 10. Extremely enjoyable. I loved it. Um, I think there's, the only reason I'm not going higher is because I think there's more they can do, more, more places they can go. Um, and so I don't want to jump straight to a higher, higher rating, but, um, eight and a half Womp Rats and these Womp Rats. So as Brom Titus reveals in the episode, uh, you know, if you destroy the the panel, right, and it, it, it shut off the the station's power, uh, it'll plummet the planet. Well, what he doesn't know is that behind that panel are actually a bunch of womp rats, and they're <laughs> the ones that are are spinning and, and making the ship. They're their little hamster wheel trying to make the ship go. And uh, uh, of course, got it. And so Ezra destroys the the hamster wheel, for lack of a better word, and uh, that is when the ship, the station, Reclam Station, falls to its. Uh, it's death. Are well, the Womp Rats relieved because they can finally rest? You don't want to know what happens to the Womp Rats. Okay. Oh, yeah. yeah. Ignorance is bliss. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. 
They were probably trying to run their little legs off to make sure that thing didn't fall any further. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so coming up so on Ion Cannon, we have the Holocrons of Fate. Now, I've been trying to find a description for this episode, and I don't see any yet, but there is a preview. And uh, so I'm, I'm going to weigh it and say, in this episode, based on the preview, um, a red-bladed attacker is going after some rebels. It looks like, uh, oh, it looks like it was a, maybe um, a rebel fleet. And uh, we learn that, so, that this, this character is going after the ghost. Um now, I also know that this episode, and this is not based on the trailer, but this episode will include the return of Darth Maul. So oh, it's wow. not an Inquisitor. It is Darth Maul that is uh, attacking the ghost. So get ready, because uh, there's a lot more Maul coming our way next week. And, uh, and it is called Holocrons of Fate. So as you guys mentioned, maybe the... Uh, the other holocrons will appear mm-hmm. in this episode. Yeah, because if the Bindu has one, then Darth Maul may have another. But that's the other thing. Is it a Sith holocron or is it a Jedi holocron? Because it looks like what, from that trailer, there's two of them. What about the holocron that Obi-Wan's message was on? Right, Has whatever it, happened yeah. to that, I remember. I assume it's I think still, still in happen. a drawer somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> Kanan, where did you put that? <laughs> I don't know. I can't find it. Oh. It's under a whole bunch of papers. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Discarded lightsaber pieces. Maybe, yeah. Seats from the last time we filled up the ghost. Oh, that's not good. Ezra yeah. clearly wasn't help, uh, wasn't very uh, careful with the, the Sith holocron. So, yeah. They might have left the Jedi holocron somewhere. Yeah, good point. You never know. Yep. Never know. I think we better end the episode. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Sean, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it's a real pleasure. Absolute pleasure having you on. Um, where can uh, people find you? I know you're you write for the New York Daily News. You want to plug in of your your stuff or your, your Twitter account, etc. Well, I have been recapping uh, Rebels for the Daily News since the beginning, and uh, I try to persuade my colleagues to place it as prominently on the site as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I always tweet it, and my Twitter account is at Spectacular Sean, um, and you can find me there. Awesome. At all Thanks of for... my Star Wars work. Yes, great, awesome. great work. Uh, you had some uh, excellent interviews as well. Um, with, and there are uh, more Excellent. Great. We're looking forward to it. Definitely you know, check all of us out on on Twitter, and we'll be back next week with our review of the Holocrons of Fate. Thank you for listening to the Ion Cannon Podcast, your source for entertainment reviews from a galaxy far, far away, including Rebels, the sequel trilogy, spin-off films, and more. If you like what you hear, please rate us in your favorite podcast client. Your review will help the show grow within the Star Wars fan community. Visit our website, ioncanoncast.com, or follow us on Facebook and Twitter. You can also get in touch with us by emailing contact at ioncanoncast.com. The Ion Cannon Podcast is not associated with Lucasfilm, the Walt Disney Company, or any of their respective trademark or copyright holders. Any and all opinions expressed on this show are that of the hosts. This podcast is a production by fans for fans and is copyright 2016.